but we're up to verse 4 here this morning, and it says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, this is the NIV version, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Today's message is titled, Fearless Living. Fearless living, based on this scripture. Do you know there's over 365 fear nots in the Bible? Fear not or don't be afraid. More than one for every single day of your life. And you might say, why is there so many? Why is it so regular throughout the scriptures? Why does God continually tell us, don't be afraid? As we read the scriptures, as we listen to him, it's because we're so susceptible to it, aren't we? So susceptible to, to fear, to anxiety, to worry, to concern. Because every day we face uncertainties, we face difficulties, challenges come into our world that cause us to, uh, to fear our health, our well-being, our prosperity, our family, um, people in our world. And we need to be continually reminded as we read the scriptures that we do not need to fear the future. We do not need to fear for our life or our circumstances. We need to be reminded that we do not need to be afraid, that we need to choose to live a fearless life. We have a choice to make a faith-filled, bold life. You know, Christianity is a bold, strong, robust religion. Some people have tried to sissify it, tried to emasculate it, tried to make it a weak religion for people who are feeble or cowardly or soft or unthinking or uninspired. You know... uh, the other day I was walking uh, down a street and there was a park there and I saw five Muslim men, probably aged between 30 and 40. They were in a line. There was five of them. They had, a big, they had big beards, big black beards, and they were standing in a line and they were in a park and they were praying. Unashamed, boldly, in a line, praying to Allah. And the Muslim religion um, present themselves as a strong religion, as a religion for men, as a, a religion for warriors. And in that same way, and, and I think the church has got a little bit to blame for that, the Christian religion, it has become to seen something that is weak. Men don't want to necessarily, do you know, when it comes to church attendance, it's about 70% women, 30% men. In some churches, not so much here, not so much in our denomination. Uh, And the church in and of itself has made services very feminine. The worship is often feminine, very um, uh, removed or or very uh, quiet and contemplative, which is awesome, which is great, which is important. But here's uh, five Muslim men standing there boldly declaring and praying to Allah and Christians go into their workplace or whatever and don't even want to say that they're a believer. Don't want anybody to know because they might be accused of something. 
And it's, it's time, particularly as the men, to, for men, and um, with this men's conference coming up as well, that we are strong believers. Christianity is a strong religion. Christianity is a bold religion. Christianity is a religion where you've got to live a fearless life. And uh, not to the exclusion of women, but it's important that the men of, ch- of our church and of C3 and of the church in general rise up because otherwise there will be a vacuum of masculinity within religion. And I'm telling you, they will go to, to, the, to Allah. They will move towards the Muslim religion because I'll see that as a strong religion, as a masculine religion. And the church needs to rise up and say, no, Christianity is a strong, bold, fearless faith where you take and live boldly, where you declare your faith with confidence, with strength to say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows it. I was uh, encouraged for those who are at the Pathfinders uh, breakfast on Sunday, uh, Friday morning, which was a great event, over 200 business, Christian business people and, and people that they'd invited. And uh, the speaker was the CEO of the NAB, Andrew Thor- Thornburn, I think his name was. And, uh, and um, he, it was great because he spoke very succinctly about leadership, but right in the middle of it, he, he spoke very uh, succinctly, very clearly and very uh, strongly about his faith how he'd come to Christ through a challenging set of circumstances 12 years ago uh, and that he'd investigated the faith, how he'd come to believe that it was true and how he'd then changed his life and his, and his values and everything to, to live that out. And, um, and it's important that uh, business leaders like them and politicians and, and people like you and I, that we are willing to stand up and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that God is real, that Jesus is real, and he can change your life, and I'm not ashamed to declare it. Yeah, come on, let's give a Lord a hand to that. So there's five Muslim men there. They're praying, they're doing this, and all their kinds of stuff. And, uh, and you know, in, in churches... And look, I'm having a little bit of a go at the men here today. But, you know, we come into church and the men are standing with their hands in their pockets. Because we don't want to do this because, well, someone might think that I'm uh, weak or I'm somehow less than a man because I've got my hands up in worship. There's nothing stronger than putting your hands up and saying, I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't care who sees it. The Lord is my Lord and I'm prepared to show a physical sign of my faith and my commitment and my dedication to the Lord. The Bible says, lift up holy hands in worship. Uh, Paul says, I wish that all men would worship, that they would pray, that they would lift up holy hands in worship. Worship. A, a, commi- a physical sign of our commitment to Christ is vital. 
It's vital not only to the people that we gather with, it's vital to our children, it's vital to our teenagers that we show a physical example of the faith that we have, that we actually mean what we believe. It's not just some tradition, it's not just some thing that we do on the side, but every part of our life is committed to the gospel and the purposes of God and we set examples for it with our giving, with our generosity, People aren't dumb. Our children aren't dumb. They see where, where our commitment lies. We can say all that we like, but do they see it in the way we live our lives? Do they see it in the way we spend our money, where we invest our time and our energy, that we set an example for the next generation, that we stand up as men and women of God and say, this is what I believe. This is where we're going. We are going to see Sydney a city for Christ. But it's not just going to happen because we want it to happen. It's going to happen because people say, I'm committed to it. I'm standing up and putting my hand up. I'm going to invest my money. I'm going to invest my time. I'm going to invest my energy and, and my focus to see these things coming to pass. I'm committed to it. I am sick and tired of Christianity being sissified and emasculated. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, the Bible says, to save a soul to heal a body, to change a life, to break the power of addiction, to turn a life around. That's the power of the gospel. I'm a bit fired up this morning. <laughs> My brother Rod, sitting over here on the front row, was telling me uh, a little while ago as well that uh, he's doing a development at the moment and they had some workers coming in doing some stuff. And he comes to the property one day and here's another Muslim guy on his property praying to Allah because they pray every five hours or whatever it is. And he had his prayer mat out. Is that right? Was he kneeling or standing? Kneeling on his kneeling at lunchtime or whenever it was in the middle of his work, kneeling on the ground and doing his prayers. And Ron said, hey, get off my land. <laughs> this land belongs to Jesus. <laughs> but the guy was unashamed. He didn't care. It's time to pray. I'm going to pray right. I don't care who sees. I don't care who notices. I don't care what people think. I believe that this is the way to go and I'm going to do it now. We need to have that same spirit in I talk to so many people so afraid to even say that they go to church, so afraid to say that they pray, so afraid that someone might think that somehow they're, they're not intelligent or they're not, not part of it or they're not with it or there's some kind of archaic mindset or backward kind of living lifestyle. Christianity is optimistic, it's encouraging, it's generous, it's hope-filled, it's, it's full of peace but full of strength. It's full of boldness, but tenderness. It's both arms, both feet. It's not just being strong and then, and then uh, hard. It's being strong and tender. It's being powerful and yet compassionate. They're the aspects. They're the, the attitudes. That's the life you see of Jesus Christ. Having to mould those all together takes maturity. It takes focus. It's hard to balance them. And I mean, I don't always get it right. But living for Christ, 
is about bringing change to the world and bringing change to those who are around us and declaring the truth, whether people want to accept it or not is their choice, but we say this is the truth. This is what God says. Um, so that was my introduction. <laughs> First part of that verse, even though I walk through the, va- the darkest valley, you know, being in Christ does not guarantee that we will never walk through valleys. You've only got to live for a certain period of time and you're going to walk through some valleys. If you've never walked through some valleys, just hold on. They're coming. (laughs) Because life is not just a a flat road. Life is undulating. Life has hills and it has valleys. It has mountains at times. and, And... Just because we believe in Christ does not mean that we'll never walk through valleys, that we'll never have to deal with depression, we'll never have to deal with disappointment, we'll never have to deal with grief. It doesn't remove us from life. But it's interesting, it also doesn't mean that we have to live in defeat, that we live in victory as we go through difficulties. Notice it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley... He says, I'm going through it. I'm not going to die in it. I'm going to come out the other side. Dark times are just a season. They will not last forever. And I want to declare to you this morning, if you're going through a valley, a difficulty at the moment, that dark times, valleys do not last forever. They do come to an end. They do end. They, you do come out the other side. Night doesn't last forever. Morning will come. Morning is on its way. Winter doesn't last forever. Spring is on there. Spring's on its way. And everybody said, hallelujah. <laughs> but it doesn't always seem like it. You can get up in the morning, in the middle of winter, Morning after morning, it's cold. It's cold and you think, man, is winter ever go- is, su- is this ever going to end? Is spring ever going to come? But it comes. And when we get in the midst of a difficult time in a valley, we think, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to make it? Is this going to be the rest of my life? But I declare to you today that spring is coming your way in Jesus' name. Daybreak is not far away. Daylight is unstoppable in Jesus' name. Seasons come and seasons go. I, when I walk through the valley, as I go through the valley, Isaiah 43, 1 to 3 says this, Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you are... When, I like This is the message translation. I like this. You might know one of the other translations. But when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. Anyone ever been in over your head? <laughs> you're like, I'm drowning here. <laughs> I'm just, I've got a straw up to the surface. <laughs> just holding on. Well, this verse is for you. This scripture is for you. When you're in over your head, I will be there. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God. Because I am God. 
I am God. It's not going to be the end of you because I am God. You're not going to go down because I am God. You're not going to drown because I am God. It's not, it's not the end. I am God. I am God, your personal God. Woo! <laughs> Man, if that doesn't give you... A kick in the backside? I don't know what does. My personal God, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through it. I'm cut because even though I go through the darkest valleys, I walk through the darkest valley. God never intends for difficult times to result in our demise. He is there. In the midst, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will fear no evil. The second part of that verse and my second point, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Our fearless courage has its root in knowing that Jesus Christ is never ever going to abandon us. Never ever going to leave us alone. He's not just present with us, but he is active for us. He's not just a God up in there in heaven that is watching the events of the world unfold like the deists would believe that God created the world and set it in motion, then took a step back and just let it play out. That's not the gospel. And it's important that you don't have a deistic theology to think that somehow God doesn't involve himself in the, in the events and the circumstances of our life. The gospel says that he is not just present but active. He is there in the midst, strong on your behalf when you need him, full of grace and mercy when we need it. Our personal God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us. If we're suffering from fear, if we're, and I'm not just talking about, you know, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, that's a good time to be afraid. But I'm talking about if you're living in fear, you're living in it. It's consuming you. It's controlling you. It is holding you back. Then that didn't come from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind, the scriptures say. You know, the devil is an intimidator and a bully. And like any bully, he uses fear to control, to manipulate, to hold down, and to belittle. Whenever you try and break out of your limitations, whenever you try to overcome your shortcomings, he comes out. He's there to say, who do you think you are? We see it in the, in the life of David, King David. When David came to his great moment to rise, and he'd been through his own challenges and difficulties, and I won't go into all of it, but you can read his life story in 1 Samuel of the Scriptures, and I'd encourage you to do that because it's an incredible, incredible story. Uh, but when David came to, to his great moment to rise, there were three attempts to intimidate him. 
to keep him from his purpose and to keep him from rising up and taking a hold of what God had called him to do that was going to usher him in to the great purpose that God had from his life. Three, three occasions the devil used to uh, intimidate him. Number one was his family. And I'm not saying that this is the case with every family, but it may relate to you. But in 1 Samuel 17, 28, David had been sent by his father to the, the war zone. There was a war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And uh, the, the men of war had gone off to fight. David was looking after the sheep. His father sent him down. And it says in 17, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Sibling rivalry, family dynamics can intimidate us or keep us from being the person God has called us to be. Feeling like you've got a fit type. Every time you're around your family, you've got a fit type. This is the way you're seen. This is the way you've got to act. This is the way you've got to respond. David's older brother was saying, who do you think you are? You just look after those sheep. You're nobody. What are you doing down here? What are you trying to do? Family, parents, siblings, cousins, aunties, uncles, relatives can have a big impact on our self-esteem, on our value. And oftentimes the devil will use the closest people to you to intimidate you, to cause you to step back or to step down or to, to pull your head back down under the parapet. <laughs> what are you doing here? So we've got a responsibility to make sure that we are wise and encouraging within our family dynamics. Number two, not just his family, he leaves his brother, he goes on. He starts saying, hey, I can do something here. Goliath is calling out all kinds of things. And it says in the king, Saul, hears about this. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, it says, David's brought before Saul, who's the king, can represent a leader, can represent your boss, someone of significant influence. And Saul and David says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul, the king, the boss, the leader, the overseer says, you're not able to do that. You can't go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Here he is saying, I can take this on. And the person over him says, you can't. Who do you think you are? This guy's seasoned. This person's disciplined. They've been doing this for years. You, you don't have the experience. You don't have the education. You don't have the background. You don't have what it takes to take this on. But David, he responds because, see, David, his, his self-esteem, his strength of character 
was not just based upon what other people had told him, which oftentimes is the case with us. We have a veneer of confidence because it's reliant upon the fact that people have said we're this or that. And as soon as someone disagrees, as soon as as someone contradicts what we think about ourselves, we lose all self-confidence. We lose all, all strength. We lose our ability to take a stand because it's a veneer of confidence. But David, it says, had learnt and discovered who he was by spending time with God. God had told him who he was. It wasn't just dependent upon what his mother or father had said because they didn't actually say much about him. It wasn't based on what his boss had said. It wasn't based on what his teachers had said. It was based upon what God had said. And God had said, I'm calling you to be the next king of Israel. And I've put within you everything you need. And when there was opposition, when, when his boss, when the leader, when the king had said, you can't do it, he goes, yes, I can. And this is why I can. Because I've dealt with these situations before. When the lion came and tried to take one of my sheep, when the bear came, in the quiet, in the background, when no one else was around, I developed my faith and my trust in the Lord. My confidence is not just talking about it. I've been here and I've done it. I've overcome this situation before. I've defeated the lion. I've defeated the bear. This Goliath is just going to be just like them. God saw me come through this before. See, the, the victories of the past set him up for the victories of the future. You've got to get the victories in the quiet time. Not when you're up on the stage, not when you're up in front of people, not when everything's reliant upon your decision in the quiet time, when you don't have the pressure, when you don't have the, 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 the uh, people expecting certain things, when you're going, you know what, I'm going to see this, per- I'm going to pray for this person, I'm going to see them healed. Not when the person with cancer who is about to die comes in, you've never prayed for anyone before, you've never seen anybody healed, no one's even got healed from a cold. And you go, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to, and and there's a person there with cancer and you go, I'm just going to believe. No, you're not. You've got to defeat the cold first. You've got to defeat the the headache. You've got to see the victory and the increase in victory. So when that big obstacle, when the Goliath arrives, you've got a history of victory. No one might have seen it. No one might know about it. But you know about it and you've seen God come through for you before. And you know that he's going to come through again. David knew that God was with him. It didn't matter what the king said. It didn't matter what his brother said. It didn't matter what his family said. He had a connection with the living God who had been there for him in thick and thin. And he knew he's not going to leave me now. (coughs) Key influences. David knew. That is, trust was in the Lord. Who are you? And then the third thing. So not only did his family try and put him down and hold him back, not only did the leadership that was over him not recognize him, not think that he was able to do it, but then the the giant himself, the actual circumstance, the actual challenge laid before him. In 1 Samuel 17, it's not up on the board because there's quite a bit of scripture, but uh, let me read this to you. And I want you to picture this in your mind. 1 Samuel 17, 43 to 47, he looked David over. This is Goliath. 
So the, the king goes, well, well, okay, you look like you are pretty confident. Let's give him a go. <laughs> out you go. <laughs> and he heads out towards this Goliath. And if, you know, if you've read the story, this guy is, he's, he's a mountain of a man. He's massive. He's about nine foot tall. It says that he had a, he had a javelin that weighed 50 kilograms. That's the javelin that he used to throw. He had a shield that weighed nearly 200 kilograms. That's some heavy bench pressing right there. He was a big man. And it says, He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. By his gods. Now there's an intimidating circumstance. Here he goes out to take on this challenge, to take on this situation, this circumstance, and and the and he's cursing him, going, You're nobody. What are you doing out here? Send me a real man, he's calling out. What's this? The entree. And then he says, Come here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then David says to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. So he knew that his strength wasn't in his own ability, in his own challenge, in what he had to bring. But God Almighty was going with him and was going to direct the stones that he was going to throw. That it wasn't his victory, it was God's victory. And God had prepared him for a moment like this. In the past, he'd seen and won the victory. So when the moment arose, he knew God is going to bring the victory for me. I am going to overcome you. And he says, this day, the Lord will deliver deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Woo! <laughs> this very day I'll give your carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Wow! <laughs> Where'd that come from? He didn't make that up on the spot. He had a relationship with God. He'd had victories in the past, in the quiet times, in the moments when nobody is around, where he trusted God, where he believed, where he'd held on, where he didn't give in. God had brought him through dark valleys. And when you come through dark valleys and out the other side, it builds faith in your heart, strength in your character. No, you know what? I've been through that. I fought the lion. I fought the bear. This Goliath is just going to be like that. God's not going to let me down now. I've had victories in the past. I'll have victories today and I'll have victories in the future. So even if I'm going through the darkest valley, I, do not, I will not be afraid because He is with me. He is with me. He is with me. David's response every time was one of filled with faith and boldness. He was not going to be bullied by fear. Fear will come to bully you. 
to cause you to hold back, to cause you to take your faith out from God, to focus on the circumstances and not focus on God, to focus on the bigness of the mountain rather than the bigness of God, to look at the, the natural rather than the spiritual, to look at anything other than how big God is, how powerful He is, that He is God. He is God, your personal God, your personal God. <clears throat> Today we're going to make a declaration. Today we're going to stand up against fear. We're going to enter into fearless living. We're going to make a decision to choose God to choose faith, to hold on to His Word, to come through and out the other side, to get victory in our world and in our life and in our circumstance. It may be a health thing. It may be a relationship thing. It may be a financial thing. It doesn't matter what the Goliath is. All that matters is that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And He is with you. He will never leave you. And when you go through the valleys, He is there. When you pass through the waters, He is there. And when you go through the fire, it says, He is there and will bring you out the other side. Your life matters to God. Your future matters to God. Your testimony matters to God. So that you